Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. My name is Andy Flink, and I'm on staff here at the church. I've been looking forward to getting to worship with you uh, this morning. I want to begin by just sharing a story with you from when I was a teenager uh, growing up in China. I was with one of my very good friends, and we were in Beijing at one of the largest department stores in the city. And as we were in the store, we we realized that a, a VIP was about to show up. We didn't know who it was, but we could tell it was someone who was very big and very important. There was just something about the energy in the store. Uh, The clerks were all just sort of running around in their departments just trying to get everything spiffed up, and we noticed that they were kind of shutting down some of the uh, extra entrances and exit points that they had in the store, and there was extra, not just store security, but other, like, police officers who were... uh, uh, in, in the store, and, and we, we had plans, actually. We, we were just there to pick up one thing, but we just were like, we want to see who this is going to be. And the, the, like I said, things just kind of kept escalating as whoever it was was getting closer, and then there was an announcement over the in-store uh, PA system, and suddenly a bunch of the employees, I would say like the majority of the employees, ran to the front entrance, and they didn't just stay at the entrance, they went out in front of the doors of the main entrance to welcome in and sort of usher in whoever it was who was going to be this VIP. And it turned out that the VIP was President George H.W. Bush. He had just lost his re-election bid to Bill Clinton, and he was on a tour of Asia. He had at one point been the ambassador for the United States in China, and he he was here. And you could tell that even though he was no longer the sitting president, it meant a lot to the people in Beijing and specifically in that store that Bu Shi Zongtong, President Bush, was here. And so that's why they went out and they, they, they weren't just waiting for him to get into the store to welcome him, they went out from the store to bring him in. And that, that's kind of a, a way that Chinese people sometimes show hospitality. They go out. We do it a little differently in the United States. We don't necessarily like go out a distance to like bring somebody in. The only thing I could think of that even compares is back in the days where you could still do this sort of thing, but like at the Colts or the Pacers like had some, or, or IU had some big victory. I, I didn't include Purdue because they don't ever have big victories, but the, the <laughs> like that you would go to the airport and you would like welcome home the conquering heroes. I, I remember when, when, when the Pacers finally beat the Knicks in that like glorious game seven and, and we won in the playoffs and we were gonna go forward. There were like hundreds of people at Indianapolis International Airport to like welcome the team home. We were celebrating their accomplishments and they, we were, this is a way that we could show them that they were important to us. Uh, this week I was reading a book by a man named Kenneth Bailey who was a longtime missionary in the Middle East. He was especially focused in, in Egypt. His parents were missionaries there and then he went on uh, to be a, an, an educator uh, in that part of the world. And he talks about that in the Middle East, uh, the way that 
uh, dignitaries or, or VIPs would be welcomed into a community, whether it was a, a big city or a town or a village, oftentimes the people from, from that area would go out, even a great distance, they would walk out to welcome the person into the city. He, he gave an example. He said when he was a little boy, the president of Egypt came to where he lived in the south of Egypt. And he said, this was a big deal for our city. The, the president was very popular. And he said, men, thousands of men from our city went out 10 miles, like walking, to bring the president in. And, he, and this is kind of hard to believe just because of security things now. But they actually, they, they asked the presidential motorcade to sort of like take, turn off the cars and just put them in neutral. And they tied ropes to the bumpers of all the vehicles in the presidential motorcade. And as a way of honoring the president, they pulled the motorcade into the city, all the way in. And they were trying to make a big deal. They were saying, you are important and this is how we show you honor and, and respect. And, and Kenneth Bailey says that it's important that we understand sort of this culture of people in the Middle East going out to greet someone who's a VIP. He said, because it, in, in the story that we're going to look at this morning, at the end of Luke chapter 18 and the beginning of Luke chapter 19, that's what's happening. Jesus is going into the city of Jericho, and a crowd comes out to greet him. In Luke chapter 18, verse 35, we read, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. Now, I think it can be easy for us to just sort of gloss over this detail in the story and, and just maybe think, well, because we don't know about this cultural tradition, think, well, maybe it was just a busy day in Jericho. There were people going in and out of the city. But, but, but he points out, Kenneth Bailey points out that, you know, this beggar would have probably been there on a regular basis, and he, he senses something different is happening. So in all likelihood, the crowd, the people from Jericho had gone out of the city to welcome Jesus into Jericho. And, and so this man is like, what, what's going on? And, and they, they, they told him, actually, this same sort of thing is going to be repeated in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 19, when on Palm Sunday, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. There are huge crowds outside of Jerusalem to welcome Jesus into the city. But, but, but in this story, at the end of Luke 18 and the beginning of Luke 19, we're going to see two moments where Jesus has different interactions with two men. And these men seem to not have very much in common with each other, but, but they have this encounter with Jesus. And in these encounters, I think we see the heart of God for people who are in need of comfort and encouragement. And if all we had in Luke 18 and 19 was the example of Jesus in terms of how he treated these two individuals, I think that would be enough. But I think what makes this story really pop out to me and what I find so convicting about it is that Jesus isn't the only person who encounters these two men. In fact, the crowd who is welcoming Jesus, they also encounter these two men, but they have very different reactions to these two men than Jesus does. And it would be easy for us to just be like, oh, this is back in Bible times. This is kind of their thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really have a lot to do with us. But actually, I, I think that if we're going to feel the weight of this story and we're going to experience what, what we're supposed to experience in this story and learn from it, then we kind of have to place ourselves in the crowd. We have to experience and say, what would it have been like if I was in the presence of Jesus, and, and I saw these same two men that he saw. How, how would I have responded to them? In Luke 18, the first person Jesus encounters at the end of Luke 18 is a blind beggar. 
Now, in his gospel, Luke does not tell us what this man's name is, but because this same story is described in the gospel of Mark, we actually know that this blind beggar in Luke 18, his name is Bartimaeus. And when Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is walking by, he begins shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, now that language is, is important, son of David. What, what Jesus is 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 as he's coming in, the reason the crowds are so excited about him is they think that he might be the Messiah. They, might, they think, you know, that David is the, is the king, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And so if you're the son of David, you, you might be the Messiah. That, that, that's kind of the thinking. And so Bartimaeus is saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm in. I, I, I believe in you. You are the son of David. Have mercy on me. But those who are leading the procession into the city rebuked him and told Bartimaeus to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now when we see this part of the story and the people rebuking Bartimaeus, we just have to ask, like, why? It wasn't like Bartimaeus was somehow possessed by a demon was saying inappropriate things. He was saying good things. He was he's saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the son of David. But the crowds, they want... Bartimaeus to be quiet. They want Bartimaeus to shut up. And why is that? Why, why are they hostile toward him, even though he's saying something good about Jesus? Maybe it was because they were embarrassed by Bartimaeus. They didn't like the, sort of the image he was presenting. The name Bartimaeus means literally son of filth or son of the unclean. Is that how they saw Bartimaeus, as filthy and unclean? They, they wanted Jesus to think of Jericho as a, a, a place that didn't have people like Bartimaeus who were dirty and unclean. Maybe they, they thought, sort of projecting on Jesus, they thought, well, I, I don't want to be around somebody like Bartimaeus, so I, I'm guessing Jesus is a VIP. He wouldn't want to be around them either. But in the story, even though Bartimaeus might have been filthy, he might have been unclean. The reality is, he's looking for assistance. He's looking for compassion. Bartimaeus is looking for someone to comfort him. But the crowds, they don't want to hear from Bartimaeus. They don't want to listen to his cries for help. And that's a problem. But you know, it's not just a problem from like 2,000 years ago. It's, it's a problem that we still have today. People like Bartimaeus still exist, and just like in Jesus' day, the reality is, and this is a little uncomfortable, but the reality is, most people in the crowd, we still don't want to have anything to do with people like Bartimaeus. I mean, just consider the plight of the homeless in the city of San Francisco. The city of San Francisco is known to be a place of great wealth, and yet, at the same time, there is a very large population of homeless people there. Now, the city of San Francisco sort of bills it as this place of itself as this place of inclusion and tolerance and compassion. And yet, you can just kind of look at the news stories yourself, when San Francisco hosted the Super Bowl in 2016, there were numerous news stories documenting the city's efforts to, quote, hide the homeless so that their important guests, so that their very important visitors wouldn't have to encounter these people. And we just have to ask, why would the leaders of San Francisco want to hide these people? Why wouldn't they want to see them? Why wouldn't the people who are leaders in Jericho want to see people like Bartimaeus? But of course, if we're going to get something out of this story, we can't just say, well, why did they do that? 
we have to ask ourselves, why do we do that? In our own way, don't we do the same thing? Don't we so often choose not to see or choose not to listen to those who are crying out for help? Regardless of the reasons why they're suffering, we have to ask ourselves, do we care about people in need? Because you see, this story is about much more than a guy who has a physical handicap or might be homeless. We might not think of it this way, but Bartimaeus is actually part of a larger group of people who that we might categorize as being, they are the oppressed. They were oppressed by their circumstances. They were oppressed by their physical handicaps, by their sickness, by their disease, by their poverty, by their education, by their lack of mental health, by their poor choices, by maybe even their own sin. They are oppressed. But it isn't just their circumstances that were oppressing them. In a very real way, they were also oppressed by the very people in the crowd around them who did not want to see them and did not want to listen to their pleas for mercy. But Jesus is listening, and Jesus cares about the oppressed. So in verse 40, he stops and he actually orders that Bartimaeus be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, there's many things. We could preach a whole sermon about Jesus and Bartimaeus and that specific question and what's going on there. But suffice for this message, it is enough to just point out that Jesus has compassion for Bartimaeus. And he wants to minister to him and bring him comfort. So he stops and he talks to him. And then as a sign of his identity, as the son of David, that he really is the Messiah, he says, I heard what you said, and I'm going to heal you. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. I mean, I, he was calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And immediately, Bartimaeus receives his sight and follows Jesus, praising God. And when all the people in the crowd saw what had happened, they also praised God. This is a really fascinating thing. We see how the crowd responds to Bartimaeus. Initially, he's crying out for help and people, ah, don't bother Jesus. We don't want to listen to you. But then they see that Jesus stops and interacts with him. And so they're like, wow, man, he's been healed. He's praising God. And so we're going to praise God too. And I, I can relate to that sort of feeling. Maybe you can as well. We have this sense of uh, when we hear a story, when we hear a testimony of someone who has overcome their circumstances, someone who is down and out, who has risen above their circumstances and now they're doing well, it makes us feel good. We like to hear a human interest story like that. And if we're followers of Jesus and, and God had some part of this story, maybe someone ministered to them and brought them to the Lord and, and, and their lives have been transformed, we're, we're not just excited about what they have done for themselves, we're excited about what God has done for them. And we, we feel a sense of connection to their story. We feel happy that God has taken care of the oppressed. But in contrast to how we feel when God brings comfort to the oppressed, just consider what we're going to see when God brings comfort to someone who is a known oppressor. Because that's how Luke chapter 19 starts. And I just, as we read this part of the story, I, I just want to remind you that when Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and when he wrote the book of Acts, he didn't write it at the time with chapters and verses. He just wrote the stories down, and, and later, to, to make it easier to study or to, to learn from these books, other people put in chapters and verses. And So there, there is no break in the action between the end of Luke 18 and the start of Luke 19. This is one story. Jesus is going into Jericho at the beginning of the story, and it's... Uh, of, uh, 
at the end of Luke chapter 18, and at the beginning of Luke 19, we read in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And the people of Jericho, they, they must have been disappointed. They, they actually, they thought Jesus was going to stop there, maybe spend the night there in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, but he's just passing through until he has an encounter with a man who was there by the name of Zacchaeus. In verse 2 we read that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, if you are like me, the way you first learned about Zacchaeus was in the form of a song. And the key thing in the song is that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And we, we focus in the story that he wanted to see Jesus so much that he was willing to climb up into the tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And, of course, that's a big part of the story, Zacchaeus' determination to see Jesus. But, but if we're really going to feel the, the, what's going on in this story, we have to remind ourselves that what defines Zacchaeus in the eyes of his peers, the other citizens of Jericho, wasn't his short stature. In their, in their eyes, Zacchaeus' main problem wasn't that he was short. It was his occupation. His occupation was that he was a tax collector for the Romans. This meant that in the eyes of the Jewish people, he was viewed as a collaborator with the very people who were oppressing the Jews. And that association made him a traitor in their eyes. The people of Jericho would have almost certainly despised Zacchaeus and I think we can understand why they might have felt that way. How would we feel if someone was taking money in from us and giving it to our enemies? That's what he was doing. He was taking money from the Jews and giving it to Caesar, to the Roman overlords, to the rulers. Now, in Bible times, it wasn't uncommon for Roman tax collectors like Zacchaeus to be prime targets for assassination. Maybe... The Jewish people, they couldn't kill like a Roman soldier or a, a real Roman official, but these collaborators like Zacchaeus, they were prime targets. And many Bible commentators think that maybe that is the reason why Zacchaeus was not willing to enter into the crowd. Yes, he was short, but in that culture, if you were really, really wealthy and a VIP came in, actually the fact that you had wealth would have made you kind of a VIP, so the crowd would have parted and let this man through. We, we want Jesus to know that there are people like Zacchaeus who are wealthy here in Jericho. But because he was a traitor, Zacchaeus couldn't risk having his back turned on anybody for fear that they might stab him with a dagger or something and, and he, he might die. And so he's kind of standing on the edges and because he's short, he can't see Jesus. But he has a plan. He thinks, well, I, I kind of see the path that Jesus is traveling. There's really only the one main road in and out of the city. I'm going to go ahead. And, and there's a sycamore tree, and it has these big branches. And, and maybe they were, uh, you know, long branches that were hanging over the road, or maybe they were just close. But according to Kenneth Bailey, just to, to mention him again, he says that in that part of Israel, really most of the trees don't have 
all that many leaves, but a sycamore fig tree, it would have had a lot of leaves. And actually, around that season, it might have been very sort of, uh, you know, leafy and, and, and kind of lush. And he said, maybe Zacchaeus is climbing into that tree, and he actually hopes that he can kind of hide in the tree, and people won't see him because of the leaves. He'll have a little bit of camouflage. And so he'll be able to sort of surreptitiously see Jesus, but nobody will see him. But of course, that's not what happens Unfortunately for Zacchaeus, the crowd spots him, and apparently they point him out to Jesus, since by the time Jesus gets to the tree, in verse 5, Jesus knew his name. We read, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, in those verses, between verse 6 and 7, well, you, you need to understand that something shocking has taken place. Again, the, the, the crowds outside of Jericho, they thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah. And if you're the Messiah in their minds, that means you are going to lead an armed rebellion. You're going to try to uh, create a revolution against the Romans. And so Zacchaeus, this is a moment that he's really going to get it. Because he's a Roman collaborator. And so they thought, Jesus, we want you to see this guy up in the tree. You're going to really humiliate him. You're really going to embarrass him. You're really going to put him in his place. But instead, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. That's why in verse 7, we read, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now that word mutter, which is sometimes translated as grumble or murmur or express displeasure, that's a Greek word that has to do with contempt and anger and disappointment. The crowd cannot believe that there would be Messiah, Jesus, is going to spend time with a sinner like Zacchaeus. The crowds didn't expect that Jesus would care about a guy like Bartimaeus. But when Jesus did care about him, and when Jesus did minister to him and help him and give him some comfort, that caused them to praise God. They weren't expecting that Jesus would care about the oppressed, but when he did, wow, praise God. But when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus and ministers to Zacchaeus and provides some comfort to Zacchaeus, even though salvation, Jesus says, comes to Zacchaeus, the crowds are not happy. They are angry. They begin to complain. They grumble. I think most of us, again, we can understand where they're coming from. I mean, think about your instinctive reaction towards people who have oppressed you in some way, or our country in some way, people we perceive as our enemies. I'll never forget the first time I saw uh, this specific bumper sticker after the tragedy of 9-11. I was in my car, and I saw this bumper sticker, and it said, on the, on the back, it said, it's God's job to forgive Osama bin Laden. And then underneath it, it said, it's the Marine Corps' job to arrange the meeting. Right, so some of you you'll get that later. But the, uh, the there's this sense of like, no, it's not fair. We we don't want to extend grace to someone like that. How would you feel if you were with Jesus in some part of the world where you know there were agents of Al Qaeda or sympathizers to Al Qaeda, and you were with Jesus, and of all the people he could stay with in the city, he's like I, that guy. I, I, I'm going to go over to him or he's connected to ISIS, or, or to kind of bring it down a little bit, Jesus came to a big city and, and, and there were some politicians that you knew had you know, viewpoints that were opposed to, to the things of God, and, but Jesus said, I, I wanna go to that guy's house. 
I want to go to that lady's house. How would that make you feel? Like, no, Jesus, that's wrong. Those are the bad guys. We, we don't want to be around them. Go, can, there's, surely there's someone else you could spend time with. Would it, on some level, cause you to grumble in your spirit? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But we have to recognize that Jesus doesn't just care about the oppressed. He cares about the oppressor. And as Jesus' modern-day disciples, we must follow his example. During this series, we've been asking the question, who's your one? Who are you praying for every day? Who are you committed to telling about Jesus? Who are you going to share the good news of the gospel with? And you know what? It's fine if the person that you want to share Jesus with at first is, is just like you. Like that, that, That's a good place for evangelism to start, with the people who are just like us. But if we're really reading this book and we're following the example of Jesus, we can't just stay in our circle of comfort. We need to go and share the gospel with the oppressed, with people like Bartimaeus who are struggling. But then again, following the example of Jesus, we also need to get out of our circle and not just minister to the people we think might deserve it. We need to talk to the people who we think maybe don't deserve it. We need to be willing to extend the gospel to our oppressors. And... <laughs> You know, I, I know that that's not easy. It's hard to extend that sort of invitation. We don't even like them. And then we're going to tell them about a God who loves them? That, that's hard. Let me give you a kind of an extreme example of this sort of thing, of ministering to our oppressors. About 15 years ago, I, I read a biography of a Chinese Christian who goes by the name Brother Yun. Brother Yun was a leader in the Chinese house church movement, and he suffered a great deal for the sake of the gospel. He was arrested and tortured on many occasions. He, his family uh, experienced a lot of persecution. It was not easy for him. And at one point in the book, he is in a particular prison, but, but he actually is kind of hopeful during this season while he's in the prison because somehow he's been able to get a Bible smuggled into him. And he, he writes about what an encouragement it was to him to be able to have God's word in the prison. But then unfortunately, there's kind of a... a a raid in his cell, and, and they found his contraband. They found his Bible, and the guards took it, and they gave his Bible to a captain of the guards named Captain Wong, who you notes in his story suffered from a terrible throat infection that made him cough day and night. Brother Yun writes that a few days after his Bible was confiscated, Captain Wong summoned him to his office, where the first words that he said to Brother Yun sort of took him by surprise. They were not words. It was a statement that Brother Yoon was not expecting. I just want to read those to you. Captain Wong says, Yoon, I've been reading your Bible, but I don't understand it. Brother Yoon writes, I knew this was a God-given opportunity, so I told him, if you want to understand the Bible, it's very simple. First, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. Trust him, and he will help you understand every teaching in this book. Captain Wong, this Bible will not only tell you how you can receive salvation, but Jesus will also heal you of your throat infection. Brother Yoon writes, I saw the Holy Spirit was touching him. So I closed his office door and said, Captain Wong, please kneel down. Jesus is coming to bless you. Captain Wong knelt down and prayed, Jesus, I believe you are God. Please heal me. Brother Yoon then laid his hands on him, and he repented and received the Lord. 
God set him free from his affliction and he was gradually restored to full health. And then sort of the last line in the story is from that moment, Brother Wong became a disciple of Jesus. He's, he's not Captain Wong, the oppressor anymore. Now he's Brother Wong, a disciple of Jesus. Brother Yun prayed for his oppressor and God answered his prayer. What about you? Are you willing to pray for your oppressors? Tomorrow we will celebrate the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. And in the midst of racism and violence and church bombings during the civil rights movement in the Deep South, Dr. King told his oppressors in Alabama, I would rather die than hate you. That's powerful. I would rather die than hate you. But you don't have to be in a prison cell in handcuffs like Brother Yoon or leading the civil rights movement to, like Dr. King to encounter oppressors in your own life. I mean, just think about the people who are oppressors in your life. At work, how are you gonna treat that person who's always stealing your ideas and getting in the way of you receiving the recognition that you deserve or that you need so you can get a promotion? At school, how are you gonna treat your classmate who is constantly making fun of you or engaging in behavior that just makes them a classic bully? How, how are you gonna treat that person? We know that not every family functions the way we wish it would. Maybe you have a relative who's always manipulating things, so it seems like everyone is against you, or maybe they're always making little comments that undermine you and make you look bad. In the public square, how are you going to respond when people you disagree with politically do things that you know are targeted at people like you on your side of the political spectrum? How will you engage with your oppressors? Because Jesus, he was willing to bless his oppressors even though they put him on the cross. Brother Yun, he was willing to bless his oppressors even though they tortured him. Dr. King, he was willing to bless his oppressors even though they would eventually assassinate him. But what about you? Are you willing to bless people you perceive as your oppressors? I mean, that's a big ask. I think some of us, we, we can't even be nice on Facebook. <laughs> Stakes are a little lower, but we can do better. We must do better. Jesus cared about Bartimaeus, and he cared about Zacchaeus, and we need to care as well. Earlier, I, in several times, I've referenced uh, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, and this week I was reading in his book, talking, and I'm so indebted to him, he was talking about Bartimaeus, he was talking about Zacchaeus, and in one of his books, he writes about Jesus' interactions with these two men, and he points out that they are almost a divine fulfillment of Ecclesiastes 4.1. King Solomon has been given all this wisdom by God, and what he observes, he, he writes, again I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. And then he sees two groups of people. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. And then he writes, power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And we have to remember, Solomon is not describing things as they ought to be in the kingdom of God. He was just describing things as they are. And what he was getting at is that both the oppressed and the oppressor, even though their lives seem so totally different, they actually have something very important in common. They both are in need of comfort. And in our story in the book of Luke, Jesus provides comfort to both the oppressed and the oppressor. We are supposed to follow the example of Jesus. We are not supposed to follow the example of the crowds. But before we judge them too much, we have to remind ourselves that when the crowds heard that Jesus was coming, they weren't against him. They were excited. 
They thought he was a VIP. They went out to greet him. They showed him honor. But what they didn't realize, what they didn't understand, is they didn't care about the people Jesus cared about. They didn't know that in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, every person, whether they're the oppressed or the oppressor, they are a VIP. The crowds, they weren't excited about the people that Jesus was excited about. He cared about Bartimaeus and he cared about Zacchaeus. He brought comfort to everyone. And just like Jesus, we are called to bring comfort to everyone, to the oppressed and to the oppressor. As Paul wrote at the beginning of his second letter to the Corinthians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We have been comforted by God so that we might extend that comfort to others. And I don't know who Jesus is calling you to comfort right now. Maybe it's someone in the category of the oppressed. Maybe it's someone in the category of the oppressor. I don't know. But I do know that you have been given a divine mandate. You have been given a divine calling. And that is to follow the example of Jesus and care about the people that Jesus cares about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're so thankful that you were willing to extend comfort and concern and care to us. Lord, we, we come from all sorts of different backgrounds. We, some of us, we can really relate in the story to Bartimaeus. We've been oppressed, we've experienced that. And some of us, we really know what it's like, actually, it's a little embarrassing, but we know what it's like to be Zacchaeus. We, we've oppressed someone, maybe it's right now, or maybe it was in our past, but, but we know what that's like. But I think all of us, we've been there in the crowd. And we could sort of hear someone crying for help, or we could see someone who was in need, but we just didn't want to take action. They weren't part of our group, and so we just wanted to pass on by. But Jesus, you stopped, and you listened, and you cared. You cared about the people that we tend to ignore, and you care about the t people that we tend to despise. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to follow your example and to care about the people you cared about and to bring them comfort. God, we thank you that you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Thank you for being with us today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.